Amen. Well, good morning. I want to say a particular welcome to those of you who are new here today on Fall Kickoff. We are so delighted you're joining us here for the very first time. My name is Alex, and uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're a guest with us, what we are all about at Chatham Community Church is pretty straightforward. It's all about connecting, connecting people to God, connecting people to each other. So together we can engage our world for good, whether you're in person or online. We're so delighted that you're joining us here this morning. For some of you, as you came in this morning, you spotted the bounce houses, and it's a miracle you made inside. Let's be honest about that, right? Some of you are like, why am I even here listening to this guy talk. I could be out there in a dunk tank. But we're so glad you're here. Miracles happen every week at Chatham Community Church. You making inside is one of those. And so we're calling today Fall Kickoff in the hopes that with dunk tanks and bounce houses, we can usher along the fall weather, get rid of the, fall, the summer heat. Amen? Does that sound good? All in favor of getting rid of summer heat? Does that sound all in favor? Aye? All right, let's see what kind of pull we have in the next week. we see how it goes. In the meantime, we're starting a brand new series today called Inner Strength. Building a resilient core. Because here's what you find. Here's what I found. That even when circumstances change, whether the summer heat goes all the way deep into September or it lifts next week, here's what I find very consistently throughout my life. Even when circumstances change for the better, I'm still me. I bring me wherever I go. And even when the circumstances get better, sometimes the same attitudes, beliefs, behaviors that got me in trouble in the last season carry over into the next season. Here's what sort of studies show and here's what I found throughout the course of my life. That a resilience that leads to real peace, real joy, a deep happiness can't be circumstantial. It's not circumstantial. In fact, resiliency is, is discovered, is cultivated through two key resilient decisions. Decision number one is internal world work. That's heart, attitude, beliefs, practices, behaviors, things inside your head and your heart. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks really drilling down into this part of our lives. How do we get to a place where we've cultivated internal worlds that, are, that foster a resilient spirit? And then the second thing that we have to cultivate in a real deliberate way is rooted in relationships and community that contributes to, not detracts from, you becoming the best, most resilient version of you, right? Now, here's the thing. We've all had relationships that have detracted from our resilience. I'm not just talking about your mother-in-law, okay? Like, it's not just people that you haven't liked along the way that have been driving you crazy. Even people that you liked to hang out with. Not all of them were good for you, were they, along the way? So we're going to spend the back half of this series talking about how do we as Chatham Community Church cultivate a community where we are genuinely contributing to the thriving of one another that we might become the most resilient versions of each of us and whatever life throws at us. Listen, my friends. We are clinically in the most anxious and depressed like, period of our nation that we've ever been, right? There's so much anxiety in the air, so much melancholy in the air. Wouldn't it be great to be more resilient? Like, wouldn't it be great to cultivate a resilient spirit, resilient heart, resilient attitude that endures and carries you through whatever this season might hold for you, be it difficulty or joys and blessings? Wouldn't it be great to be more resilient? Now, today we're going to start by talking about the voices in your head. Because you hear voices. And I hear voices. And sometimes the voices in your head actually help you, right? Some voices in your head have helped you to overcome fears and obstacles. Kind of, you've psyched yourself up to overcome and do more than maybe you thought you possibly could. Sometimes the voices in your head can be very helpful. And sometimes those voices in your head have actually undermined you, haven't they? It all really depends on if those voices are telling you the truth or if they're telling you lies. That sort of 
rob you of joy and courage. And one of Jesus' sort of most famous quotes and one of his most beautiful promises, he says this, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you what? Free, free. The truth is what sets us free. Free to live resiliently, free to live peacefully, free to live joyfully, free to live the way that God designed us to live. The truth is what sets us free to live the resilient life that God actually made us for. So if that's true, if Jesus is actually telling us the truth, the truth sets us free, here's what lies do. Lies trap you, diminish you, and weaken you. Lies, even the ones you kind of like, even the ones you sort of temporarily sort of make work for you, they always make us weaker. They always trap us. They always hold us hostage. Lies diminish us, trap us. So what happens when you believe a lie? You get a little tangled up in it. What happens when you believe a lie and you start rehearsing it for days, weeks, months, years, decades of the same lie rattling around in your head over and over and over again? For some of us, this tripped us up over and over and over again. Some of us have become so identified with the lies in our head that we, don't, we become that lie. Now, here's the deal. When lies are at work in your head and on, on repeat over and over and over again, when lies are running your life, they will ruin your life. When lies are running your life, lies will ruin your life. Some of you already experienced this in some shape or form. Some of you had marriages ruined by lies. Some of you had business deals ruined by lies. Some of you have had extended family relationships ruined by lies. When you're making decisions around lies, when lies are in your head and that's what you're believing, they will almost always lead you to the land of regret. You will make decisions that you regret. You'll live fearful and anxious or you will live aggressive and unnecessarily angry when you make decisions around lies that are the voices in your head that are the things that you believe that aren't true about you and about the world around you it almost always leads you to the land of regret because lies aren't true right this is the thing about lies let's just pull back a little bit lies have no anchor in reality there's no correspondence to what's actually real or true. Lies barely exist. Lies are like a vapor. They're a mist. They're super small. They're super thin. They barely, barely, barely have any existence. A, a, a lie is like a little thin spider web. And do you know how it gets power? You repeat it over and over and over again. You live it out over and over and over again. And the more you repeat it, and the more you believe it, and the more that you live into it, it grows in thickness, it gets more and more power to tangle us all up. Lies always weaken you. They always make you less strong. The truth is what sets us free. So if we're going to talk about resiliency and building a resilient core, the, one of the more, most important sort of spiritual works you can possibly do is surface some of the core lies that you've had on repeat over and over and over again. Maybe, so many, maybe they're so deeply ingrained, you don't even know that you're believing them. They're just in play and in loop. We're going to surface some of these core lies that we believe, that people believe for centuries, and then we're going to surface them and speak the truth to them because the truth is what sets us free. We're going to spend these next three weeks naming some of these core lies that people believed over and over and over again. A, a couple of them are going to sound just like the voices in your head, right? Give yourself a chance. Listen for it. 
couple of them are going to sound just like the voices in your head. Some of them are like, I don't really believe that lie, but you're going to know someone who battles with it. We're going to talk about the performance lie, I am what I do. We're going to talk about the stuff lie, I am what I have. We're going to talk about the people-pleasing lie, I am what other people think about me. Over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack these different lies. And the whole goal of this is to expose them so that we might cut through them with the good news of God's great love for us in Jesus. That you might be set free from the lies because the truth is what sets you and I free to be the resilient people God designed us to be. Today, we're going to drill down into the performance lie. The performance lie, you can define very simply this way. My value is dependent on my performance. Or another way to put, put, this, uh, put, put this is, I am what I do. Now, this is a really powerful lie because it answers the big question. How do I know I'm valuable and important, right? All of us want to live lives that are meaningful, valuable, and important. The performance lie gives you a very simple answer to that question. How do I know I'm valuable and important? Look at my resume. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at the things that I've done, right? So the performance lie is a very kind of shorthand, quick and easy way to tell you if your life is valuable or not. And that's a helpful thing, except here's the problem. What happens if your value or worth is defined by what you do and then you fail? What happens not if you just fail once, like a bad mistake? What happens if your life is just a series of mistake after mistake after mistake? And you get so buried up in shame and anxiety and just feeling like your life is a failure because you believe the performance lie. Or sometimes even the worst is true, right? How many of you know someone who's super gifted, super accomplished, and super obnoxious because they're so proud? How many of you know someone who retired 15, 20 years ago, and they're still telling you their resume from 20 years ago because that's what made them feel valuable and important, right? That's what their value of worth was. I did something important back in the day. My friends, the performance lie, because it's a lie, will trap you, diminish you, weaken you. The truth is what sets us free to be resilient, hopeful, and holy. And this lie, the performance lie, is one of the things that Jesus is getting at as he tells this beautiful story that Greg read for us earlier from Luke 15. Now, if you're brand new to the Bible, there's four biographies of, Jew, of, of, of Jesus. Luke is one of those four biographies. And in Luke chapter 15, he sets up this story by telling us sort of who Jesus is talking to. The very beginning of Luke 15, Luke writes this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomed sinners and eats with them. All right, so the tax collectors and sinners, those are the people that weren't religious. They had rebelled against God. They rebelled against God's people. They weren't people who were seeking after the Lord, at least not in the traditional sense. But those people loved Jesus. They flocked to him, the non-religious people. And the religious people, the religious sort of leaders, are kind of looking down their noses and muttering and criticizing the fact that this man, if he really was a prophet, if he really was God sent one, he would sort of despise these people and shoo them away. And in response, Jesus tells three parables. The last one is the one that Greg read for us. And it's sort of the climax and the, uh, the grand finale. There's two younger brothers. There's two brothers. And the younger one says to dad, dad, I wish you were dead. You're living way too long here. Can you go ahead and give me my share of the inheritance because really you're just lingering on and on and on. Now let me ask you a question. If one of your kids came to you and said, you're living way too long, give me my money now, how would that go over for you? If a niece or nephew said, hey, can you give me the share of the Could you please just hurry up and die already so I can get my money? How would Thanksgiving dinner be around the table with that family member? So the younger son kind of makes this audacious request. And the first century audience would have been really shocked by this because it's a much more kind of family-centric kind of, uh, kind of uh, culture. And then, but what the father does is even more crazy, even more audacious. So he divided 
his property between them. Now, here's the thing. The father goes ahead and divides his property between the two brothers, even the bratty younger brother who doesn't deserve it because he's generous and good. And Rachel, I've lost my click. Can you, can you click through with me? That'd be fantastic. The father is so incredibly audacious and generous. He goes ahead and divides his property between those two sons. Now, I want to pause here and just take a quick aside. The generosity and goodness of the father is actually what drives this whole parable, not the kids. The father's generosity is at the core, the heart of this whole parable. And as we're talking today about core lies we believe, things that we believe about ourselves and the world around us, here is the very, very first lie. The very, very first lie of all time is this, that God cannot be trusted to be good to us. That was the very first lie ever uttered in the world. You can't trust God to be good to you. That was the very first core lie. As long as you believe this core lie, all shall not be well with you. As long as you believe that God cannot be trusted to be good to you, that you've got to look out for yourself, take care of yourself, that you're not sure you can trust God, you're not sure you can be faithful, you will always be trapped. You will always be weaker and less resilient than God designed you to be. So here is the good news, the truth, and the truth that sets us free. The Father is as good as Jesus shows us he is. God the Father is as good and generous and recklessly in love with human beings as Jesus shows us he is. God the Father is good and generous to you even when you're arrogant, brash, proud, and bratty like the younger son. God the Father is generous to you if you're here this morning and heartbroken and weary and exhausted. He is for you. He is for you. God the Father is generous and good to you even if you're kind of ambivalent about God and spiritual things. You're kind of happy with your family and your life and vacations and make some money and kind of just do the next thing. God the Father says, hey, listen, there's so much more for you. Come and trust me. Come follow me. Come walk with me. I made you for a relationship with me. God the Father is good and generous to you even if you don't like God, even if you want nothing to do with God. He is so for you. He's so for you. He says, I hear your rants and I hear your objections. And okay, fine, but I want you to hear. I'm good. I'm generous. I love you, and I'm for you. My friends, this morning, really good news for you and for me. The very first lie that was ever told to human beings is a lie. Here's the truth, the truth that sets us free. God the Father is generous and good for and towards you. You can trust him, you can trust him, you can trust him. The younger son takes off, and the story sort of unfolds. Like, remember VH1, those old VH1 behind the music? Kind of, like, they would show, like, the rock star that gets wealthy and then squanders it all away. Basically, it's a VH1 backstory, right? The younger brother parties all the inheritance away. He's poor, desperate, a famine hits, and then he finds himself feeding pigs. He hires himself out to the farmer to feed some pigs. And this is, like, the worst possible place for a good Jewish boy, right? Worst possible place for a good Jewish boy because pigs are unclean. This is like the lowest of the low. Okay, so remember Jesus' original audience. Tax collectors and Pharisees gathered around him. The religious leaders standing in the background, muttering to themselves. And for the religious leaders, right now, this part of the story is a happily ever after story. That's what he deserves, little punk. Take that. That's exactly what he deserves, right? And you've been there. You've seen the movie, right, where the arrogant, proud guy gets what's coming to him, and everyone's like, yeah, take that. That's exactly where this whole story is. The religious leaders think this is a good moralistic story about what happens when you dishonor your father and mother. Like, it's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Don't dishonor your, your parents. You will end up feeding pigs. Okay, kids? Take that. But the story takes another turn. That's not going to make the Pharisees and religious leaders so happy. When he came to his senses, the younger son 
remembers that the father is so generous that even the servants have tons of food to spare, and here I am, starving. And so the son starts to write a, uh, write a, 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 a I'm so sorry speech, an apology speech. And what his apology speech shows us, it shows us the inner voices of what you believe when you believe the core lie, I am my performance. My performance is what makes me valuable or important or worthy, and what happens when you fail. This is what happens when you're stuck in the performance lie. And you fall short of how you know you should perform. He says, well, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to go back to my father. And I'm going to say to him, Father, I sinned against you. Against heaven and against you. Totally true. 100% right. So here's what I deserve. Maybe this is better what I deserve. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Maybe that's better than I even deserve. Hired servant. I don't deserve to be a part of the family anymore. One of my favorite parts about the job of being a pastor is I talk with people who are in various stages of spiritual journey and sometimes they're in difficult spots. And over the last several months, I've had several conversations with folks who are really down, really struggling, just down on themselves, down on the world, and they're just floundering a little bit. And so there's a number of reasons for that often. There's sometimes there's circumstances are kind of gone sideways for them. Sometimes there's genetic history or kind of chemical in the brain kind of imbalance, right? Just kind of classic clinical depression. And I think there's also a spiritual layer to it sometimes. So here's what I started asking people to do. We're meeting over there in the office, and I say, let's put up on the whiteboard everything the voices in your head are saying about you and about the world around you. And here's a, here's a smattering, here's a gathering of what some of those folks have said to me as they're wrestling in really dark, heavy places. Here's what the core performance lies sound like. You have to earn everything. No one's going to give you anything. You're powerless to do anything meaningful in the world. You're falling short of who you could be and should be, and you always will. You're not a good per- You think you're a good person, but you're not. You're not smart enough. You're a fake. You're a fraud. You are not worthy of love. You have not worked hard enough for it. Those are some pretty powerful lies, aren't they? Some of you hear voices like this in your head on loop for so much of your life. When you're living under the performance lie, I am what I do, and then you fall short, your voice sounds a whole lot like that younger brother who says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to sort of receive love. That's what it sounds like when you believe the performance lie. Some of you carry around so much shame, so much guilt for so very long, and that shame or guilt would keep you stuck feeding pigs rather than returning to the Father. And man, if I come back to God, or if I'm coming to church, maybe God will let me sneak in the back door as a servant, not as a child, because I don't deserve to be a child anymore. My friends, if you hear voices in your head that sound something like this today, I've been sent here to tell you some really good news. These voices are not the voice of the good shepherd. This is not the voice of Jesus. Jesus' voice doesn't sound anything like this. This is not what the, Jesus does not speak in words that accuse you in these kinds of ways. These voices are the voices of your own internal overactive conscience, your own anxiety, your own worry. They're the voices of a parent or other authority figure. There may be even spiritual opposition voices whispering these lies to you. But my friends, I've been sitting here to tell you some really, really good news. These lies will always diminish you, always hold you captive. Here's the truth, the truth that will set you free. Here's what the voice of the good shepherd sounds like as he continues to tell this parable. While the younger son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was what? Filled with compassion for him. 
He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son tries to start his I'm so sorry speech, but then continues to go on. The father just ignores it, says, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on the finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Make me a servant is what the son thinks is better than he deserves. The father says, I'm going to put a ring on your finger, robe, on your, like, robe around you. Those are also the emblems of being a part of the family. And then he says, this son of mine, not a servant, a son. My friends, for those of you who have been operating under the performance lie, my value lies in what I do or don't do. And you hear the voices of shame and guilt. I've been sent here to tell you some really good news. The Father sees you and loves you, has compassion on you. And I've got some more really, really good news. It was never about your performance to begin with. You are not as important as you think you are. Instead, you are loved far more than you ever imagined. You're not as important as you think you are. Instead, you are loved far more than you ever asked or imagined. It was never about your performance. It was never about how good you could be or how many boxes you could check. Listen, shortly after Jesus tells this parable, he's going to go to a cross to wash away the sins of the entire world. Not because we've deserved it or earned it. You can't earn someone going to the cross for you. It's just grace upon grace upon gift upon grace. And so, my friends, if you are someone who's been buried under voices of shame and guilt for much of your life, welcome home. Father loves you. The Father knows what you've done. He says, that does not disqualify you from being my child. I have seen to it. I have seen to it through the blood of my own son to make sure that your performance does not disqualify you. In fact, I want you to get rid of that whole economy. I want, you to, I want to invite you to the grace economy, the grace economy, where God's grace and love comes first. And then, yeah, sure, afterwards, we get to live on the farm. We learn how to be a part of his family. We, we cultivate a life with God, our good father. But, my friends, really good news. Your performance cannot possibly disqualify you because Jesus Jesus performed perfectly for you already. That's, that's what it means to be set free from the performance lie. That you are what you do and that your value hinges on what you do. And if you can be set free from this core lie, the next slide please. If you can be set free from this core lie that I am not worthy to be called a child of God because of my failures. And if you can replace it with the truth that will set you free. It was never about my performance to begin with. It's always been about God's grace and love. If you can hold on to that exchange, if you can make that exchange today, you will walk out of here more resilient, more free. Because that's the truth. And the truth is what sets us free. Now, remember Jesus' original audience. Remember Jesus' original audience. You got the, the tax collectors and the sinners right there. You got the religious leaders kind of on the side. And the tax collectors and sinners, obviously, they're the younger sons, right? They're the younger sons who kind of come back to Jesus, come back to God, and Jesus is throwing a party. But you got the religious leaders in the crowd, too. And you know what? Jesus isn't going to forget about them. Isn't Jesus so kind? He's going to write them right into the story. The, 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 the religious leaders get to play a role too. They get to be the older brother. And when the older brother sees the party going on in the house, he does what older brothers do. He says, I'm not going in. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So what does a generous, loving father do? The father goes out and pleads with him. My friends, good news. Same father. Two very different sons. One son gets lost off the ranch. The other son gets lost right on the family farm. 
And the father, in his generosity, goes out after both. Because the generosity of the father is what's driving this whole beautiful story. And how the older son objects to what the father is doing exposes how he's stuck in this core lie. The, younger, the older son says this, look, all these years I've been, what's the word, what's the word there? All these years I've been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. See, when you're living out of the performance lie and you fall short, that's younger brother syndrome. All the shame, all the guilt keeps you away from God and from God's love. When you are living the performance lie and you check all the right boxes... The result is self-righteousness. And my friends, self-righteousness will cut you off from God's love just like the younger son who runs away from God will. If you forget that it's all grace from start to finish, if you start to think because you're the one who's done all the right things and I show up at church and I pray and I do all the right stuff, if you start to think that you deserve God's grace, maybe you deserve it even more than someone else does around you, you believe the older brother lie. Now, here's what's so pernicious, so wicked, so insidious. I'm trying to use SAT words here. Terrible about this lie. You can be just as lost as the younger brother and not even realize it. You're on the farm. You're doing the right things. You're checking all the boxes. You're obeying. But all the while, you're building a record of your own righteousness. Here's how good I am. Here's how good I am. Here's how good I am. And at the end of the day, essentially, here's what the older brother sounds like. I've done all this good stuff, and here's the catch. Here's the, catch, here's the kicker. God, you owe me. Here's my bill. Right? I've done all this good stuff. I'm slaving away. Never once disobeyed you. You owe me. Anytime something in, the, in, the, in your head sounds like God, you owe me for all the good stuff I've done. You have fallen prey to older brother syndrome, and you're trapped in the performance lie that your value, worth, is all about what you do. Beginning of the summer, I had a sense from the Lord to, uh, to really press into prayer, like to, to pray and cry out to God on behalf of my own soul and the church and Chatham County. So I doubled my time in prayer starting in, in, in early June. I was and, and over the course of the summer, God, like, was doing some really good stuff in me. Like, you know, who knew I had so many issues to deal with? But I do. There they are. God was working on my issues and doing some good stuff. And, and I had a sense that God was doing some new things here in our church and just praying for Chatham County and praying for God to do a new thing across Chatham County. Man, I'm, like, logging all these hours of prayer, all kinds of hours, praying and praying and crying out on behalf of ch our church and our community. And a couple of weeks ago, we were in a seminar, and Jaime, my fellow pastor, read this parable. And he invited us to close our eyes and just listen for a word or a phrase that would stand out to us, that the Spirit might be speaking to us. And when Jaime read this part, the older brother's objection, like, I've been slaving away for you, and all the older brother's self-righteousness, it like popped out like an alarm bell. And I realized that if I spent the summer with all, logging all these hours of prayer, if I came to the end of summer and said, God, you owe me, here's my bill, all I was doing was building a better, self-righteous, older brother record. I was just being a good older brother, if that's how I was thinking about it. And that would be the worst thing in the world. In fact, I shouldn't be praying. I should have my time in prayer. I shouldn't even, I shouldn't even be praying at all if I'm going to show up to God and say, here's my bill, you better show up, better pay up. And when I realized that that was a possibility, 
It was, when I realized that I could be on that track, I just, I cried. I wept. I was like, oh, oh my goodness. Good father, would you forgive my self-righteous older brother heart? Would you forgive me, father? In fact, hey, the younger brother gets a second chance. Can I get a second chance too? I want to keep praying. I want to keep doing good things, but not to sort of build up some record of righteousness. That's why I can build up some record of how good I am and how much you owe me. I don't want any of that. I don't want anything to do with that. I just want to be a joyful, faithful, glad child of my good father. Would you set me free from my self-righteous older brother heart? My friends, grace is transforms us is what transforms us. Older brother syndrome sounds something like all these years I've been doing all the right things. You, you never gave me anything. And the father gives this pitch perfect response. Here's the father's pitch perfect response that saves us from ourselves. My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Would you read that with me? My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. One more time. My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. See, if you have any inkling that you've got some older brother syndrome in your heart, this is the truth that will set you free. Now notice the older brother, he's very self-righteous and very smug, and it turns out self-righteousness not very resilient, is it? Self-righteousness not very resilient. It looks strong. Look how faithful they are. Look how good they are. It looks strong, but it's a lie because it's built on the performance lie. It's not resilient at all. You find someone who's self-righteous, they are so easily rattled. When I am self-righteous, I am so easily rattled because I built my life on a lie, which always weakens and diminishes me, even if it feels strong for a short period of time. So the father speaks into the older brother's self-righteous heart, and he has this pitch perfect. All three phrases are so good. My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. First off, my son, not slaving away. You were never a slave. You're my son, and you know what the thing about being a child is? You can't earn it. No one earns being a child. You're just born. You had zero choice in the matter. My son, I never thought of you as a slave. You were never a slave. You made yourself a slave. You thought of yourself that way. I never thought of you that way. You've always, always, always been my son, my child. Older, older brother syndrome people, hear the good news. You are a child of God. Go live like it. Secondly, you're always with me. Listen, the greatest gift anyone can give is the gift of themselves, right? That's the greatest gift anyone can give is the gift of themselves. And if you marry someone for their money, that's creepy and dark. Don't do that. If you go to God for his stuff, that's also a little bit twisted. You marry someone because you love them. You come to God because he is love. The greatest gift anyone can give is the gift of themselves. You are always with me. That will be the gift God gives us forever and ever and ever into eternity. Amen. My son. You're always with me, and everything I have is already yours. Remember, at the very beginning of the parable, the father divided his property between both sons. He already had everything. The father already given it to him. The goat that he wanted to have to celebrate with his friends, the father says, it's your goat. Kill it. Have a party. Have your friends. I'll come and help you with the party. Or if you're like a middle school boy and want me to hang out back in the back room, I'll stay far, far away. But have a party. Enjoy. Listen, all fellow older brothers, okay, listen, you just need to play a whole lot more. Some of us just need to play a whole lot more. There's stuff to do. There's work to be done. Please do it faithfully. But everything God the Father has is already given to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Go enjoy it. Go enjoy. Play. 
There's music and art and food and drinking. There's all these good things and certainly there are accesses. And yes, don't, don't abuse those things. Don't go into access. But my friends, some of us, the best thing you could do is less work around the farm and just go kill a goat and have fun with your friends because everything God has is yours. Go play. Go enjoy. My friends, Jesus ends the parable with this quote. It is a challenge to the religious leaders who are all critical about the unhealth, unholy people that gather around Jesus. He's saying, the question is, will they come into the party? Will they come into the party and celebrate and receive the, the love that God has for them? But both brothers have to get rid of the core, the core performance lie that I am what I do. That my value is dictated by how I perform or how I accomplish or how I achieve or what my track record looks like. The younger brother has to do away with self-righteousness and smugness. I mean, I mean, the younger brother has to get rid of all the, the shame and the guilt and the brokenness that they're carrying in. And so, just like some of you have to get rid of the shame and the guilt that would keep you from God's love. The older brother has to get rid of all the self-righteousness and the record of how great they are and how many things they've done. All these things are based on the same core performance lie that does not bear good fruit. Here is the truth, the truth that will set you free. It was never about your performance to begin with. It's always, always, always about God's grace, God's love. Jesus has gone to the cross to make sure it was not about how well you performed, but it's all about how good God's love is for you. That is the truth, my friends, and the truth will set you free. Today's wildly important take homes. Let's just kind of click through these really quickly. First off, Jesus declares this good news. The truth will set you free. Lies, when lies are running your life, lies will always ruin your life, even if they're working for you temporarily. The performance lie is that my life and my value depends on how well I perform, I am what I do. The younger brother syndrome sounds something like I have failed, therefore I can't earn, I can't earn I'm not worthy of God's love. The older brother performance syndrome is checking all the right boxes, leading to self-righteousness, which also cuts you off from God's love in really sneaky, dark sort of ways. And here's the truth that sets you free, never about your performance, never about you to begin with, always about the grace and love of our good, good Father. Those, my friends, are your wildly important take-homes. Here's my prayer for you and for me as we head into fall 2023, whether it's 5,000 degrees for days on end or tomorrow the weather changes. My hope and my prayer is that you might be set free from these core lies, set free to be more resilient, set free from the voices that tell you that you haven't worked hard enough or you've worked tons more than everybody else, so you earn it more than everybody else, you deserve it more than everybody else. My prayer, my hope is that as Chatham Community Church, we would encourage one another into the good news of the truth of God's grace and mercy that does indeed set us free, free forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are good, and I, I thank you for this beautiful story that has changed so many lives, lives by dismantling so many lies. And I want to pray now, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to be set free from these lies. This morning, if you're here and you know that you are struggling with sh the voices of shame and condemnation and guilt, I want to invite you to, to pray a prayer where you surrender the voices that tell you that you're not enough. I want to invite you to pray a prayer surrenders those voices that condemn you, that would keep you from the love of the Father, keep you from the party he wants to throw for you. If you're here this morning battling voices of shame and condemnation, I wanna invite you to offer those up to a good, good Father who says it was never about your performance to begin with.
And if you're here this morning and you know you've got some older brother in you, you know you've got the record of how good you've been, how faithful you've been, how religious you've been, and if you have a sense, any sense at all, that older brother syndrome is at work in your heart, in your spirit, where you've got this record of how good you've been and that that might be keeping you from the love of the Father, might be keeping you from coming into the party and celebrating, might be keeping you from, God, from the great embrace of a good father, I want to invite you to surrender that record of righteousness, to release all that self-righteousness, that you might have hands free and heart open to receive the love of your good father who comes out after you and pleads with you, come, come into the party and celebrate. Take a minute to do that now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for speaking truth that sets us free. Would that truth cut through the lies and set us free to know the grace and acceptance and love of our perfect heavenly Father. We pray in your strong, mighty name. Amen.